and a happy Memorial Day to you all. Pity the weather isn't much better, but at least uh, we can look out and enjoy the spring gardens. Uh, this week's podcast is about workshops and the sight and insight theory, which is why we're called the Sight and Insight Podcast. And that was a name that uh, David and Connie came up with. Uh, and, of course, I'm not too sure what the sight and insight is. I know we joke and say that um, David's the uh, the sight guy and Connie's the insight girl. But, you know, what, what exactly does that mean? So we'll be going into that in more detail very shortly. Uh, but one of the other things is, why do we even want to be taking a, an art workshop? Well, I can look at it from a personal point of view that it's a great way to meet guys. Oh, sorry, no, that's the wrong script. Um, no, well, I'm sure that anybody who knows us will know that I met David at his father's art workshop. So to you me, make great guys through workshops. <laughs> to me, the, the art workshop was a wonderful experience, but that's another story for a, another day. Um, but I used to come over in the early 80s to take a week-long workshop with David's father, Roger W. Curtis. He was a local marine painter. He did some beautiful work, and he was a great teacher. He always made you feel that he could explain it in a way that you felt that you could go out and, and do this too. And he would give a demonstration at night, and you'd just sit there and watch as he'd flick the brush across the canvas, and you knew that, wow, that's so easy. And then the following morning, because we were inspired, we'd go out to paint, and I'd get that white canvas in front of me, and it'd be like, oh, I don't even know where to start. Um, but by the end of the week, it, Roger was very good. He would come round and he would give a personal critique to everybody. And the other students in the class were, were wonderful too. Many of them had much more experience, well, most of them had much more experience than me. And, you know, we could talk to each other and, and you could learn from each other as well. Um, about um, about what the, the class was. I mean, I had to come over five times to do the workshop before I actually worked out what a value was in painting. Um, it always made sense when Roger was stood next to me and talking and he would be show me how to apply the paint. And, um, it, it made perfect sense. And the minute he walked away, it was like, now, what did he mean by that? <laughs> uh, so it, to me, doing a workshop where you have five days one after another working, was perhaps more help to me than doing a weekly class. But on the other hand, there weren't weekly classes available to me back in England. We had a, a local art club where there were some very good artists, but they didn't teach, and therefore you were pretty much left to your own devices. Um, up here in, uh, in, in Gloucester on Cape Anne and up in uh, Kittery where Connie's from, there are many art groups that are very supportive of each other and there's always so many artists about it's it's easy for a beginner to find somebody who can who can help them um, so let me come to you David first can you tell me exactly what you mean by sight and insight and how it reflects in in your workshop program well I, I think sight and insight has been around for a long time I mean the phrase sight and insight been used many times before, so we're not <clears throat> the uh, the patent on sight and insight. But I do think it, it describes uh, what we're doing, uh, Connie and myself, together as uh, as I don't think painting is just about learning to learning to see. I think it's also learning to uh, put your thoughts together about seeing 
and then being able to communicate them to yourself and then hopefully to others as well. So I think it's a combination of what you see and how you're thinking or feeling uh, about your subject and how you put it onto the canvas. So I think it's, it's a very complicated thing, painting. I think one of the things that Sight and Insight, our program is going to be uh, um, concentrating on is that it's a painting program. I've always had a, um, a Saturday class here on Cape Ann since I think 1995. And I think it's, um, it was always a drop-in class, meaning that you didn't have to sign up. You could just come, say, and arrive. If the weather was good, it was strictly plain air. If the weather was good, you could show up and I'd be there. And over the years, the word of mouth spread. And it and it's, wasn't my idea. It was an idea that Emil Groupie did in the heyday of Gloucester, is that you could go down to the docks of Gloucester and Emil Groupie was teaching a class and you could just drop in. So this idea of a drop-in class is, is, is I, th I thought it was good. And I, to be honest with you, I thought people learned more because they could visit me more frequently throughout a summer on a one-day basis once a week. And I maybe could push them farther or help them more with their works. Well, I suppose that's good if they happen to live in the area where they can get here easily. Mm. Although I understand you have students who drop in regularly who come from Maine and New Hampshire. That's right. So, so it's not. It's what you offer. It's uh, you know what you're putting out there, and the difference between the drop-in class and the workshop was um, was was a big difference. And I, I tended to value the weekly class being more uh, productive. But when I started doing workshops, um, and you gave your experience as a student of the workshop, well, here's the teacher's first <laughs> workshop experience. I happened to be doing a demonstration, which that's what all the workshop instructors were asked to do first, to demonstrate. Uh, and so I was doing a demonstration, but it was a foggy day in Rockport. And the little <laughs> shed I was painting would disappear in the fog and then reappear five minutes later. So I was confused. Do I put the shack in? Do I not put the shack in? I better get my values right on that fog. And I think uh, uh, there was it was a gentleman in the class who was a well-known gentleman, and uh, he relaxed me by saying it looks pretty good. So therefore, I relaxed. Um, but I, I think uh, the teacher is as nervous as the students. So over the years, I've, I've learned that the essential parts of composition, uh, the essential parts of painting, and the use of um, understanding values um, was really the, the things that I really stuck with and I, and I still stick with today. Mm -hmm. So, and I, as you mentioned, the difficulty with understanding what the word value means. It's one thing to know the definition of the word value. It's another thing to know it's like a saw or a hammer that you can make something with. Yeah. That you can... Yeah, that you that can was the hardest thing. You How can, do you apply it? Yeah, you can make it a little darker than nature is suggesting. You don't have to make it exactly like nature. Nature's the model, and you could go a little darker, a little lighter, but you'd have to reach that point that you realize that it's a tool to be used, just as color's a tool, as, as all the other things are in that toolbox for you to use. Mm -hmm. Connie, um, yeah. um, what are you going to uh, concentrate well, on? You know, where does the insight come into? <laughs> okay, I, I, I'll give a little. I'll, I'll give a little perspective. Um, so I got my uh, I got my PhD in 1986, and um, 
I uh, went to work right away on the University of Texas campus in, in Austin, Texas, and I worked at the LBJ School of Public Affairs. I was an assistant professor. I also was a research director for this Hogg Foundation for Mental Health. I, I began teaching right away. So I began to be a teacher, uh, certainly not of art and of artistic endeavors, but, but I believe that that instilled in me a way of of looking at things and and how do you explain something, something that might be rather complicated, a, a mental health concept might be rather complicated to a first year student, but uh, but uh, translated it becomes something that they can really you know wrap their heads around and get excited about. So so that being some of my foundation around teaching. I think that then when I started painting in the early, um, you know, 21st century, um, <laughs> sounds so big, <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but when I started having a dialogue with David about, about teaching concepts and, and um, how, to, how to look at composition, uh, it was that I had all these analytical skills. Um, mostly I think it's maybe my nature to be analytical, uh, but it could easily be translated into how do you analyze a, a painting and how do you, um, uh, you know, better a painting? Uh, how do you resolve it? How do you unify it? Uh, how do you take the, the things that are rather uh, disjointed in a uh, picture frame and unify those those disjointed elements. So, so that began the conversation between David and I about about how feeling emotion is very much a part of painting. And so we kept talking about, and then and then further. I mean, there's um, all the speed books, Harold uh, Speed. We talked about this in in one of our podcasts on books uh, about art. Um, uh, there's a strong emphasis that composition and uh, plein air painting, any kind of, of, um, of artistic painting involves the feelings and the emotions. And so, hence, the insight of the sight and insight <laughs> workshops and and uh, programs. Yeah, that's interesting. And the two of you working together, I think, can offer students a lot because, um, as I say, having had a, a workshop with a man who was a very good artist and also he just had a, a natural technique in teaching people, I think. He would always find something good to say about what you'd already done, no matter how bad it was. And then he'd tell you, now, let's see if we can improve it. And so he had a, a kind nature, so that mm. even when you knew you were a, a real bumbler, you still felt that, well, there was still hope for you. But um, it's interesting, even though your background isn't in teaching, uh, you weren't, you know, you didn't go to school to, to learn to be an art educator. You were, you oh, were doing that's the, right. the psychology. Yeah. Um, you can have people who know how to teach but perhaps don't know how to teach the art. Or you can have an artist who... I, there was a fellow at our art club in England, and he was a 
great watercolour painter, but he had no clue how to tell anybody. And he was so nervous. And we asked him once to, to show how he went about it. When he was so nervous, he knocked his water all over the paper. And it was just a disaster. I felt so bad for him because he was really talented. Yeah. But he didn't know how to express it to anybody. He could do it for himself, but he couldn't do it... Uh, he couldn't teach somebody else how to do it. Uh, and so I think the two of you who are perhaps approaching... Um, art from a from different sides can can focus help help students focus because I think mm. that's the hardest thing. You how do you teach somebody to see? Well, I, I think it's complicated, and, and the old phrase comes to mind while you're talking about this: uh, teachers teach and painters paint. Mm. And mm. Um, so, whether anybody actually teaches uh, painting or not, or drawing or art, is is another question. And I think this. I would say that everybody is, it's their fingerprint, it's their iris um, uh, mm. reaction. It's how they identify with themselves that they're painting. And that sounds very far-reaching. And I suppose that um, for years I was a very practical teacher and stuck with the basics. But then talking to Connie, she has much more of the understanding that the creative process is just as important to a young painter and um, I be yeah, I believe it is. And I believe it's something that a lot of painters, they teach the technique or they teach you to see. But nonetheless, it's, it's an endless process to learn to see. Um, I'll, I'll give I'll just a true story this past week. Um, Connie called me and said, David, um, I got an idea. What about this? And she started talking about a box that maybe a better way of teaching composition is to start with a a box and looking into a box and then within the box would be let's say your scene and as she's explaining this to me I, I thought it was kind of unusual but then it, it something clicked in my mind about a painter of the past in the uh, 17th century named Nicholas Poisson and uh, when I and I, I don't know why it remembered me. So I looked up Nicholas Poussin. He was famous for this thing called the magic, the Poussin magic box, in which in which he'd <laughs> actually begin his compositions by he had three little doors on the box, a top door, two side doors, and he'd make these little wax figures. Oh, and like a diorama. Yeah, like a, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. just like a diorama. But this was the beginnings of his. Um, you could say he, he echoes the speed, or speed echoed what he was doing, play first. Mm -hmm. So he has little toy uh, figures out there, putting them in the box. A little bit like the Seinfeld adventure with George oh, Sanza was, was trying Power to... Rangers. The Power Rangers. <laughs> but no, no it, it, so I thought, when I realized, and, I, and then I watched a little video about Poussin's magic box, I realized Connie was really on to this. And I think this is, sets an example of how... Uh, together, uh, the, the synergy of understanding new ways of teaching painting was where we started off with. What are some of the new ways we could teach painting? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't this very academic approach of learn to draw a very fine drawing, and then after a year of doing very fine drawings, you're handed a, a stack of brushes one inch thick with hairs all over them and a, and a palette of color. Okay, just do what you did with the drawing. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't really help no. uh, the painter because they very easily could get discouraged and give up. 
So we decided not to teach. Drawing's a great thing, and I, I would encourage everybody to take a drawing course. The Bog drawing course, great drawing course, and there's other drawing courses that are very good as well. But we are specializing in teaching painting. And uh, as I said, the way we're working is when Connie realized that this, this box, this diorama, would be a great way of understanding. Because then from, from what Poussin was using it for, was then he'd start, once he had his composition set in the volume and knew the lighting effect from controlling the light into the box from the little panels he had, he would then say, that's what I want for the composition. Do a little sketch of it, and then he would stop doing individual figures. And his things are usually life-size figures are involved. They're enormous paintings. Um, and how he went about doing this. And then it dawned on me, that is probably, so, so that when I address a student out of doors and say, all right, here's your composition. This is what you want to paint. You're inspired to paint this scene. The difficulty is going to be for you is to learn to flatten that out and put it on a two-dimensional surface. And of course, they look at me like, well, what do I, how do I do that? And I think this idea of a cube or a box or, Okay, so, so I was going to say something about this since uh, David uh, said that I'm the one that brought it up. Okay, the reason I brought it up was not so much, um, I knew nothing about Nicholas Poisson and I, I knew nothing of that uh, magic box. And what I was doing was um, looking at the idea of, of putting your... Um, we we are talk a lot about gestures and and we've talked about uh you know a pictorial design um some kind of uh arabesque a rhythmic um spotting uh, of a line and maybe a couple of diagonals to give you uh, a sense of what was inspirational to you when you saw that when you looked out on the scene that you was before you in nature and so I was thinking, but you know, it's quite hard for people to see that in 3D. And so my, my thought was to put, create a cube, was my initial. I wasn't thinking of box so much, but a cube and create, you know, how you can make a three-dimensional cube. And then you put in the, you know, the front, the foreground, the midground, and the background. And so then you start creating volume. And you create deep space. And I thought that both negative sky to positive trees, you know, stuff like that would start to become um, something that, that a student would really recognize and experience so that they could then put it on their canvas, which is very flat, very two-dimensional. So anyway, that was my, my thought on that. Um, the second thing I was going to say is uh, regarding these workshops is that uh, for me, I, I believe that inspiration and, um, and uh, the thrust to be creative is, is really um, what, what workshops are all about. I think it's, it's immersing yourself in, in the elements of, um, it's almost like being in an atelier for a week. And um, and you get a chance to immerse yourself in in the you know the conversations of fine artists, great artists, how they came up with these designs, 
what was happening with Cezanne, Monet, you know, uh, you get all kinds of information. So there's inspiration that occurs in workshops, and, and that inspiration goes with you back to your studio or to wherever you're painting, and usually you move forward. And I think you move forward with a more of a leap rather than just a step. Yeah, so so obviously this is something interesting. You know, the the cube, the cube theory. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's something that you're going to be introducing into your own upcoming workshop in June. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and details will be on the website, folk. If you need anything, if you don't have a pencil and pen, paper handy, we will put information out there for you to see. Um, uh, I believe the dates are June eighteenth to the twenty second. Uh, I think the hours are 9, 10 till uh, 3, three. which is probably, that's a, a long day. But I think, as David and Connie have both said, going out day after day uh, and putting in those kind of hours really takes you to sort of the next plateau in your, in your painting. But is this the kind of thing, is this for advanced um, painters or can you have any beginners in there? Will a beginner get enough out of it absolutely i would say it's it you could be very much a beginner uh of course there will be some advanced uh painters in the group uh but but each person gets what they need mm -hmm. you know so it's not it's not so much about um about you know what level you are mm -hmm. you know there's a lot on memory painting there's also um, a, a particular aspect of the color wheel and color theory in which we'll do color spotting. You know, we talked about um, filling in the picture plane perhaps with, with these uh, volumes and, and lines and, um, and masses. But then there's color. Uh, we're going to look at color and color in relation to the gray, um, when, when I speak of gray, it's a cool grays and warm grays, but gray is a tremendously powerful uh, aspect in a, in a composition, mm -hmm. and um, especially an outdoor composition, which I think gets underrated. You want to say more? Uh, about yes. That? Well, uh, just to echo the gray, just think, just try to imagine an autumn, uh, a, a swamp maple tree in yeah. bloom in autumn. It's uh, brilliant orange, and if you, and then the bright blue sky next to it is making a vibration, and the orange is echoing. But a lot of times, that's just so exhausting with too much color. If you don't throw some of those neutrals in there around those strong chromas, the strong colors. Um, it, they wouldn't even be recognized. Uh, so the spaces between are, are important, mm -hmm. I, I think, in, in a painting. But other, other aspects of this workshop, this, it's a five-day compositional workshop. Each day will be unique. Um, I, um, and, and over the years, as I've done workshops uh, and noticing uh, that sometimes demonstrations can take a long time by the artist, and I think it's one way of understanding is the way the artist. And a lot of people are taking that workshop for that particular artist to understand that. But I don't do demonstrations anymore. I, I feel that you can learn more from the experience of doing than um, even if the 
if you're if I was uh, you know having a, a student, I, I'd rather him make a, a horrible mistake and then learn to fix it, learn to correct the mistake, than just to paint it just like me. Um, my teacher had a phrase called the farthest back straggler, which um, uh, is meaning that look for the thing that's most wrong in the painting and not, not praise yourself for the things that you have right. And a test for this over the last five years on my classes, if I go to a student, as I'm approaching the student, I would say 10 feet away, I can find the mistake, you know, the back straggler. So approaching the student, I will then ask the student, what's wrong with their painting? Do they know what's wrong? And nine times out of 10, it's exactly what I thought was wrong, but they didn't do it. And um, I think that's the most important thing is to believe yourself. If you think that this area is weak, it probably is weak, mm -hmm. fix it. Do something to it to make it stronger. Even if it's an overstatement, don't try to make it exactly right right off the bat, but try to bring it up to the, the, the way the rest of the pain works. So you're always working from the philosophy of, of the, yeah. um, the gestalt, the, the wholeness is more important than the parts. Don't perfect a little ear on the portrait. Uh, get the whole head laid in correctly, mm -hmm. and then you can start at the end, worry about the, 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 the degree of finish on the ear or not the degree of finish on the ear. The lost and found, all those things come in much later. Really try to um, build a strong composition because that's the lasting part uh, of, of all painting, I think, is what you remember is the composition and not... Just, oh, didn't he paint that nose beautifully? The John Singer Sargent of the Boyd children. Oh, isn't that nose beautifully painted, you know, mm -hmm. in the paint? Nobody makes a comment like that unless you're looking for that detail. I would say it's the, it's the whole. You're mm -hmm. taken in by the whole. Mm -hmm. And when we go to these museums and see a whole, a painting that is complete, uh, that's what we should be studying is how did he arrive at the wholeness? And it's the, you know, just as the philosophers say, it's the sum of all the parts equal coming together to make the whole. Um, I would also say that um, in these, like in this upcoming workshop on composition, we are taking um, a non-traditional approach uh, in, in, in the sense that um, we are going to allow color I think color has a structural power and can turn form. So we're not looking at, you know, uh, turning form with um, light and shadow, chiaroscuro. Uh, we're looking at it through color, the power of color. And uh, we're also looking at this idea of um, it doesn't necessarily, we're not going to, you know, say, oh, everybody's got to get some kind of mechanical perspective. Uh, there may be a use of that, but, but what we want to want people to recognize is that all these things are tools in kind of uh, subservient to the power of the composition. I think that the, the pictorial composition is most important. Yeah, I would think so. If you're painting out of doors, it's surely that was is one of your main themes. Um, so let me just get this right. You're not um, you're not asking people to paint just like you guys. You both have right. your own style. You're not trying to take students and say you have to paint exactly like this. I know I've heard of some painters. Okay, now take up this brush 
and then you apply it to this pan and you know your number six color or your number three color but what you're offering people in this workshop would be tools to help them become right. better painters for themselves right. i would assume any anybody wanting to try to paint mm -hmm. would number one have that inspiration to want to do it mm. And that desire, to me, is, is, the, is the vehicle, the, the thing that's moving them down the road, the car, you might say, uh, in, in order for you to give them and show them what the tools can do, not how to use them, but yeah. you know, ways of... I think technique is confused a lot of people, and mm -hmm. technique is just a way of doing something. It doesn't mean it's the way. It's a way. So when somebody asked me, um, I think somebody said to me, uh, uh, David, what kind of brush do you use? I don't think it matters. I mean, I, I have a student who paints with a palette knife. I don't think it matters whether you use a brush or not. Or I think uh, William Russell, the great Western painter, used to chew a stick and put the paint on with a chewed stick. And it's how the paint goes on. I mean, I don't look at a Rembrandt and say, he used a number five... Um, you know, uh, brush here, and it was a, it was a, it was obviously a, um, a flat or a filbert or whatever. You don't know, and it doesn't matter. It's, it's doesn't. We don't criticize paintings for how they were done. Yeah, I heard one of your students admitting recently that they'd been using makeup brushes to put paint on. Right. Really? There you go. So they. <laughs> they seem to get a nice effect. Yeah, I, 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 I Nobody's going to question how you did it. And a lot of paintings, I think, without the thumb, uh, a lot of paintings wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be better by that. I think mm. Albert Hibbard, <laughs> Albert Hibbard, said to my father once, because he went to Boston Museum School, he, I think it was Joe DeCamp came in to give him a a, a, a crit on his head, his portrait head, and uh, Hibbard said, "I was amazed that in after a week's work on this portrait, uh, Joe DeCamp just took his thumb and." knock this, soften this, sharpen this, soften this, soften this, and he says, all of a sudden the head turned and looked round. So you and, really don't uh, need brushes at all? You don't no, need you any just, it's, it's, it's all, you know, it's all fingers. But um, And it's I, also all personal. Yeah. But I understand people want to know more about the materials, and somebody who's been doing it for years will, will tell you the do's and the don'ts. That's very true. But I think it's I think it's good to jump in at the deep end, you know, drown a couple times, come back in another <laughs> lifetime, and be a great artist. Uh, it's good to immerse yourself, jump right in, give it a shot. You know, you don't know. Um, there's, I, I think as as Connie said, a good teacher tries to tries to inspire the student to learn more about their craft. Mm -hmm. Well, great, thank you, David. Connie, do you have any last thoughts you want to share? Um, no, I, I think, um, again, it, you know, as you can see through this podcast, we're thinking outside the box, obviously. Um, and, and it's all about creativity. It's about creative, creativity, imagination. We, uh, we want to emphasize that, um, in this composition class, uh, because it, it, um, it, helps to, that the that the person becomes free to to do what they would like to do on their canvases as opposed to some kind of structured uh, format. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you guys have a, a great idea to uh, for the workshop because I think over recent years there have been so many artists taking uh, taking on teaching workshops that 
as good as they are, um, they're all becoming perhaps uh, a little of formatted where, you know, watch me paint for, for the morning and, and sometimes artists want to go off and do their own thing. Um, so I, I can see that you've got some very uh, particular ideas here. If you'd like to have more information about the Sight and Insight uh, workshop, uh, June 18th to the 22nd, uh, it's going to take place primarily at the Essex County Greenbelt in Essex, Massachusetts. And that's because it's a great location, there's parking, there's some wonderful vistas, there's architecture, there's some beautiful... Uh, I'm sorry, David. Trying to give me the uh, the signs here. Well, in case of rain, we have a oh, we have in a case of rain. There there is a, a studio. There is a barn. I didn't realise that rain was what he was signifying. <laughs> and most important of all, ladies, there are facilities there. I know that's very important. Um, so there will be uh, a link on the uh, on our Podbean uh, website to take you to the. Uh, uh, the workshop website. So if you're interested, take a look at it. It's a wonderful experience uh, and I know you'll enjoy it. And I know they like to keep the workshop small so that they can give more time and personal attention to the students. You're not going to be one of 30 people. So um, it's it, it will be a, a small group. So if you're interested, you'd better check it out and sign up quickly before it gets too full. So thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. So from David and Connie and myself, Judy, uh, we'll say goodbye, have a great <laughs> week, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks very much.